Hey all, welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. We're back with another season of exciting interviews packed with the information you need to transform your health. This podcast is brought to you by Heads Up, which is our web and mobile app designed to help you integrate all your health data in one place and use data to master your health. Our desktop app has an entirely redesigned look and feel. We've done some big upgrades to our Apple Health integration and we've launched our new fasting timer on the mobile app. So if you love tracking your health, head over to www.headsuphealth.com to learn more about our app and to give it a try. Lastly, we'd like to thank our newest integration partner, Biostrap. Biostrap is a wrist-worn device that measures activity, sleep, heart rate variability, respiration rate, blood oxygen, and much more. Most important, you can now link Biostrap to your Heads Up Health dashboard. Check it out at headsuphealth.com slash biostrap. Okay, with the formalities out of the way, let's dive into our next exciting episode. Welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I have a very special guest with me today, Sean Bean. We are gonna dive deep into some really, really fascinating topics. Sean is an expert on working on complex cases. He also is very sophisticated in terms of his approach using analytical tools for solving health problems, has seen it all in terms of how to put different pieces together and work on complex cases. He and I, before we started the show, just started nerding out on some really good stuff. And so I, I, I hit the record button, Sean, so we can now start capturing that stuff and continue our conversation. And I'm really excited. I've got some notes on some things I want to ask you about, and I'm really interested in how you are able... I'm always interested in, in talking to people who have a lot of cross-discipline expertise because they can start to take things they've seen in one area and put them together in, in other areas and start to synthesize solutions to problems. So I really want to start getting into that aspect of it. But before we do, give an introduction for the Heads Up Health audience. Tell us about yourself, where you're from, and then we'll get into the fun stuff. Thanks, Dave, for that introduction. Um, my name is Sean Bean. I'm a clinical nutritionist. Um, my certifications are I have a Bachelor's of Science from Westchester University. Um, like many of you, I've all been on my own health journey for many, many years. And before we had uh, access to the internet and all the other information, I had to uh, research this stuff pretty much all on my own. My health started to take a, um, a transition when I was a um, national level bodybuilder who, um, as we know, that lifestyle is not the best. Um, due to the amount of stress that we put on our body, um, the, the things we should not put into our bodies, uh, even though that um, being an, a national level competitor, we had to use certain substances. But um, as my research uh, shown, 
I did my research before embarking on that journey. So when people were telling me to take 10 times the normal amount, I would take 10 one tenth of what they said. Yeah. Um, I looked upon the clinical research um, and I got up to the national level by, you know, just using substances um, right before competition. My philosophy was, is not to stay on year round uh, cycle wise, but rather just use the, use the advantages to maintain your lean body mass dieting down. Makes and sense. I had a wonderful philosophy that I picked up from Arnold Schwarzenegger, Frank Zane, because they're the ones who lasted. They're the ones who were able to do things without getting, um, harming their health, so to speak. And back in the 19, late 18, 1980s and 1990s, um, they were my role models um, because I watched how they, you know, they were judged on stage. They weren't judged off season. So I adopted that philosophy. And what I did was is I learned to transform my body within 16 weeks from um, just a really in shape guy to a pre-contest type approach um, and to do it in a healthy mindset. Um, one of the things I did become was is bodybuilding was a very addictive sport. And it, it really pushed my OCD to the max. Um, there were times when I used to, one of my training partners with Dr. John Berardi from Precision, uh, who owns Precision Nutrition, um, we were way ahead of our time. We were doing the mass eating diet, uh, the massive eating diet back in 1990s. Um, and we were just getting bigger and leaner just from the research that he, uh, he was doing and the training style that we were using. Um, so I was blessed to be part of that um, you know, have access to that information. And him and I are still good friends to this day. Um, so it was just weird, interesting how our paths, um, you know, split. And the next thing I know, we're 25 years later, we reconnected back again. And to find the level that we're at mm -hmm. is just phenomenal. Um, but he was a very inspirational in my dieting and teaching me how to diet during pre-contest prep. Um, to maintain as much lean value mass as I could. Um, moving fast forward, um, my health journey really began um, right after the last bodybuilding show, um, and it was a gradual decline from there. Um, basically, uh, I pushed my body to the limit, and then over the years, being exposed to mold. Mm. Um, and right after the competition, I mean, it was just everything hit, every, everything hit the fan at one time. Uh, it was overtraining. Then I then I read a Prince. Then I read an article by Jay Cutler. How he used to get up in the middle of nighttime, eat at three o'clock in the morning, then go to bed. Well, I did that. My started my last prep show, and I wasn't thinking about the um, the circadian rhythm. Yeah. That is is sleep, and I started training at five o'clock in the morning. So I figured, you know, I'll go to bed at ten, wake up at three, eat, and then go back to bed. Well, that didn't turn out too good. Mm -hmm. uh, so I started training, started having gastrointestinal problems, and then right after my contest, um, just like all the other people, uh, the day after, I decided to go to a sushi bar. And as I found out, the last place you want to go on a, on a Sunday is a sushi bar, because all the food's bought on a Monday, Tuesday, you know, it's bought early in the week. Yeah. And we can eat buffet, so we were there for about six hours, uh, right after the contest. Even though I was taking my gender route and everything, something slipped in. Yeah. Uh, and um, I literally gained, I don't know, 15, 20 pounds within a day's time from all the water retention, which really wasn't a problem. But usually, but 48 hours I, after I started having GI problems. And I 
went from doctor to doctor and they were like, oh no, that can't happen. And then things snowballed when I moved into a friend's house that had mold in it, black mold. Um, and that's when the, that's when my health took a real decline. That was uh, the cherry on top of the cake was the black mold exposure. It was the black mold exposure, but it was also all the pre-existing mold exposure I had when I was a child. Yeah. Um, being back in the 1980s, um, we lived in our basements training. Mm -hmm. And I used to trudge through water when my water basement used to flood. And to go over to a platform that was wooden, wrapped in carpet, where the weights are at, and start working out in six inches of water. And trying to hop over, you know, trying to hop over on the planks and stuff to get to the weight bar. Um, and that was probably uh, where I got a lot of the mold stored in me from. But it wasn't until I moved into the black mold that um, I literally, um, I knew my health was on a decline because um, I just got exposed and I didn't put the connection together until almost like several years later because the one doctor I went to, oh, it's mercury, it's mercury, it's mercury. Uh, and it wasn't. And the thing was, is um, it all started with one day waking up with total amnesia for three and a half hours, stuttering, um, and just everything went downhill from there. I literally lost 100 pounds of lean muscle tissue in nine months. That's I terrifying. Was, I have pictures of me of 235 pounds at 6% body fat, and nine months later, I looked like I was an AIDS person. Yep. Um, I went down to 100, I do the calculations. Uh, 230 at 6-8% to body fat, and then calculate 165 at 13% body fat. Mm -hmm. And I got depressed. Um, I got a stool sample test done. They found I had all kinds of infections in my GI tract. They ran a protocol, um, and they never followed up on the stool sample test. I got better, then I got worse again. Yep. Um, and then that started the whole cascade. Uh, I eventually ended up on full hormone replacement therapy, um, testosterone, adrenals, um, thyroid. I was able to get myself off thyroid. Um, I was able to get myself off adrenals. Uh, right now I'm just on testosterone replacement therapy because um, I tried to reboot that and just didn't work. So the boys downstairs just aren't communicating right. Um, so that's currently where we are. And, you know, as you know, I went from doctor to doctor trying to get answers. And they just weren't getting me. So that's when I found some of the forms. Um, back back in the day, we had CureZone.com, cure zone which had a lot of information, but they weren't scientifically supported. And then I started going to the thyroid forums, and I was just stressed out. And finally, I said, "Screw it!" And then that's when I my uh, that's when my interest led into, okay, I'm a dog chasing its tail. Let's try to find this hidden connection. So I spent probably over the past nine or ten years of my own health journey in PubMed. And that's when I started to discover I had this ability to put patterns together fast. And then one of the doctors, um, actually one somebody online mentioned, it's like, hey, have you ever been diagnosed with autism? Mm -hmm. I said, no, but when I look back, I had all the characteristics as a child, never realizing it. I, you know, and back in the 1970s, you know, not back in the 1980s, they didn't know what autism was. Yeah. You know, they just knew as, um, you know, they were, quote, known as retards. I didn't fall in the category. I fell all opposite of what was known. I was athletic. I had, um, I was very, you know, back in the 1980s, I was very shy. Um, but I had the, um, I had learning disabilities. 
um, was in the lowest reading classes. And the next thing you know, by the, um, by my senior class, I was, you know, in high school, I was falling asleep in class and getting A's in tests. They even pulled me out of class to say that I was cheating because I'd always be, I'd always be the first one to hand in my test. Um, I actually was, um, first person in my school to actually been moved up from the lowest science class to the AP class to where I was just outscoring the valedictorians of the school. So that's when they knew I had a special ability. Mm -hmm. uh, and the interesting part was, is I was handling highly analytical, but being Asperger's, I had a hard time taking tests. Um, I actually, believe it or not, scored one of the lowest scores on the SAT test. Mm -hmm. But when I was able to take the test in a non-time compressed, I was getting 11 and 12 hundreds mm -hmm. um, because of the pressure. Um, makes sense. So, you know, here I am today, and um, what looked as a curse actually turned into a blessing for many. As it usually um, does. Yeah, and it took me a little bit of time, and finally I was diagnosed at the age of almost 40 years old with having Asperger's. Mm -hmm. uh, because um, it is a very, having Asperger's is very challenging because it can put, um, uh, really makes communication with people very hard. Mm -hmm. And it's got some relationships trying to have an uh, emotional connection. But through my own biochemistry, my own research, I've been able to overcome a lot of those um, imbalances um, by bringing my body back to a natural homeostasis uh, where I use my genetics yeah. and my biochemical pathways, my understanding of science and, you know, commonalities of you know taking things and looking things from what i refer to as a forty thousand foot view yep when dealing with these complex cases um we get so caught up in the rabbit holes of methylation and endocrinology immunology psychology and the problem with modern medicine is is that it even functional medicine is is every doctor has their specialties Absolutely. so if you go to a mold doctor they'll find out they have mold if you go to a heavy metal specialist, oh, it's heavy metals. If you go to a Lyme doctor, you have Lyme. Well, those all could be true, but how do we connect those puzzles together? Mm -hmm. How do you connect the endocrine system, the immune system, the neurotransmitters in the science, psychology, the emotional, the lifestyles, and genetics all wrapped up in one? So about four, probably about seven or eight years ago, I looked at this, and this wonderful word popped in my head called matrix. What matrix means is is it's uh, bringing it, it's bringing things together. Yep. It's that net. Mm -hmm. So with that information, I'm like, you know what? Let's be called. Let let's call this matrix health and wellness, which could not be a better terminal. Could not be a better um, name because I often joke with people that come see me in person. I said the reason we name this the matrix is because when you leave here, that's how you feel. Yep. Because you feel that you've gotten all your answers in one place. Mm -hmm. And that way, there are too many specialists out there and there is not enough generalists. I would agree with that 100%. And I think, as you said, even, even in the functional realm, you can go in and, and get some really, really good diagnostic information. Right. But it's, it's largely specific to that clinician's domain of expertise. And there may be other things going on there. So... We, we, you and I are very like-minded in this approach. That's why I built Absolutely. Heads Up, because I want people to have a way. Some people are not going to find a guy like you, and they're going to have to do this themselves. 
So a, a lot of our users ended up creating massive spreadsheets, as you've probably done, or you've had clients do. So can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Yeah. So uh, the, reverse engineering anything, you need a matrix. You need a data matrix. In, in our case, it was helping people put all of the numbers together and find patterns. But in this day and age, Sean, we have access to incredible tests. Everyone does. Anyone can go get some a genetic report done, an organic acid test, some routine blood work. But what's interesting is when you and I first got on, on the air here, you said the first thing you do is ask people subjectively, what, what do you think is wrong with you? And in many cases, that's, that's the first data point that you need. You're not running any quote unquote tests per se, but just based on subjective report, you can start analyzing and pattern matching and start to figure out where a lot of the root cause is. Obviously, you're gonna run some testing after that, but mm -hmm. am I understanding that correctly? Is you start with, with a conversation? The first thing you always do is, is number one thing is, is um, I don't like to use questionnaires mm -hmm. because when people are sick, their brains does not do good with closed-ended questions. Yeah. All of my clients write out their timeline, whether it be a page, two pages. I think the biggest one I got was 45 pages with 13,000 words on it. Awesome. It would have been basically a novel. Um, but it's all broken down to what we call the pillars of health. Mm -hmm. um, it's environmental, it's emotional, it's transgenerational, it's, it's emotional from transgenerational stress, it's um, structural, it's pathogenic, it's um, medical, you know, what kind of meds, like I have a lot of people damaged from Cipro when we get into the history, or other um, medications they had adverse reactions to. Um, so pharmacogenomic type stuff. Pharmacogenomic, environment, environmental, emotion, and pathogens are probably the biggest. Environmental, emotional, and pathogens. So, man, that is big. Uh, I'm just writing that down because I don't want to lose that train of thought. And uh, environmental, emotional, and pathogens. Let's double click on the emotional stuff and the psychospiritual stuff because yes. that's 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 underappreciated in my opinion and is so important. And you made another really interesting comment, transgenerational. I don't think people really conceptualize that at all. But what it what is DNA? It's encoded information. And that is passed down through lineage. And so can you talk more about emotional and specifically transgenerational? I don't think our listeners have really heard us talk about those aspects on the show. And then we'll loop back around to um, pathogens and environment. When you're doing, let's just give an example about autism, okay? A lot of times autism, when you look at autism, it's usually from a single mother. It's usually from the stress of the ch and stress during the child. Um, during, con during, it's not even preconception. It's usually during, it's usually preconceptional. Because one of my areas I focus on, because I have autism and diagnosed autism, I see autism rising. If you focus on the parents before conception, autism will decrease by a significant amount. Yep. Um, and just to give an example, because I do preconceptional, people coming in here are um, nine, if you get 10 people, nine of them shouldn't be thinking about having a kid. 
because they're nutritionally depleted, they're iodine depleted, they got gene expressions going on, they got emotional trauma, they're not in a position to have kids, and that's 90% of the people, the kids walking off the street, okay? That's just not, ran, that's to randomize people. That's not specific people that are really, inter- you know, that are thinking about it. Yep. Or they're, that's just off the street. Yep. Um, that are coming in, just be curious to what's going on. And but, but people are coming in preconception and, and getting consultation. Is, is that right? They're, they're not. I mean, this is, the, this is the biggest thing that we see in medicine is these things can be easily corrected. 100% agree. Get, get, get your biome, your microbiome checked, get a stool analysis, get, get a methylation or a genetic report before you start even trying to put the bun in the oven. Oh, absolutely. Or, oh, by the way, you know, you do an organic acid test, and next thing you know, you see like one, two, three, um, and other markers up showing you have mold or mm-hmm. showing patterns of mold. And then you have a child in that mold. Um, I have the mold markers, by the way. You know, the, the, before we got on, I was telling you some of the work I'm doing with, with Dr. Grace. And yeah, it's mold and, and other crap I probably picked up when I was a kid living in a moldy basement up in Canada as well. So. Well, the thing, the thing about the organic acid test is, is I found the sequence by which uh, you can find out if you have stored or active mold for the high percentage. Oh, interesting. The reason being is, is the marker erotic acid does not, is not about ammonia. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a marker for it's all it's a marker for cell permeability, which usually comes off the phosphatidylcholine pathway. Which, if you look in the genetics, you'll usually see hetero or homozygous MTHFD1 or PEMT, which is a phenol phosphoethylalanine methyltransferase, which has to do with production of phosphatidylcholine. If you don't have phosphatidylcholine, what happens is the cell will lock up and go into what's called a cell danger response. It will hold on to that material and not let it go. So you end up storing up fat. You end up storing those um, stored tissues, the stored, the stored toxins within the tissue, because the body knows if it does, if it lets go, it's going to have um, a detrimental effect on the um, biochemical terrain alone. So I just want to jump in there because we, we, uh, we're talking about uh, genetic SNPs as well here. For those who are listening, we're going to loop back to that. But, Sean, uh, I'd love to get your recommendation on, on which uh, genomic test that you recommend. But let's close out on the um, emotional transgenerational, and then we'll switch gears. How, do, how does – you gave one example of, of autism. What about, for example um, – a parent who had some emotional trauma at some point in their life and that's unresolved, is that something that can manifest through transgenerational um, um, work? There have been uh, theories that transgenerational stress can go back 16 generations. Yeah. For example, if a person's, if I, if I track a person's heritage that they're American Indian, mm-hmm. they're gonna have a higher predisposition of uh, PTSD. Yep. Um, genetically, there is yep. encoded in the genes as far back as 16 generations. This is stuff that is really powerful. I don't think it's talked about. I'm, I'm glad we're getting onto this. It's interesting. No, um, and becomes it becomes a major factor when I look at specific heritages like the Ashwanadi mm-hmm. community, the Holocaust. That's me, by the way. And that's actually been published in PubMed. Mm-hmm. actually a study about that 
Yep. And that's what really aroused the curiosity of more further research going on. That's hardcore stuff, man. Wow. And often what you have to do from that situation is um, you've got to do um, um, uh, transgenerational stress therapy, which can be done many different ways. There's a practitioner that I use out in Washington that by resolving one person, he actually resolved the mother's, by resolving the one, by resolving the one client, he actually healed the mother's depression. Yeah. Through quantum, through quantum, um, through quantum approach. Yeah, um, that's, that's really, really incredible stuff. So what about, um, pharmaceutical medicine doesn't really have psycho-spiritual approaches, so, and especially transgenerational stuff. So like, that's why I'm excited about, in the news, State are decriminalizing psilocybin, peyote, other psychospiritual medicines. Is yes. that something we can use? Let me, let me explain you how transgenerational stress works, and this will put everything in perspective. When you use ayahuasca, what it's doing is, is it's theoretically going back before the event happened and basically ghostwriting it. Yep. The way you want to think about it is your DNA is a hard drive. Yep, agree. It's information. It's information. Those PTSDs from past transgenerational, they are Trojans. What the ayahuasca does is it, it somehow goes back and it rewrites um, pre, 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 pre those times and actually removes, potentially removes those Trojans. I believe that. They're forth on. Um, I have seen amazing things with ayahuasca. Uh, because of being adopted, I don't know. And wow. because of the fact of being, um, knowing my history of my mother was 21 and my father was 40, um, there, I'm sure, and um, the fear uh, and, and being a single mother and being, and being fearful, I'm sure there's um, some emotional withholding that's there. Mm -hmm. I think by doing the ayahuasca, I think I'm going to um, finally break free from it because one of the symptoms I still experience is I have anxiety and I've always had anxiety without any explanation. And I got to do with the transgenerational stress from the fear of un being unwanted, um, passed on from my mother to myself. And I have the genes for... Um, those specific um, issues. Um, I have the OXTR gene, which is the oxytocin receptor gene, which all, uh, all autistic kids and Asperger's have. Uh, out of the 21 copies, I have 19 that are heterozygous or homozygous. Yeah. So, um, you know, when, when you go into the indigenous cultures, mm -hmm. the, the, these plant medicines are just part of normal, healthy upbringing, mm -hmm. and they just use them as as a tool, just just on, on a periodic basis. You'll just do it and, and and they have significantly lower instances of depression, anxiety, probably a lot less transgenerational stuff that's going on. Admittedly, those cultures are, are becoming a smaller and smaller slice of, of our planet. But anyhow, um, so it's safe to say that we can use plant-based modalities in, in, in that instance, okay. All right, so let's change gears here a little bit and um, talk about 
which test you would advise someone to use. You don't have to recommend a, a vendor. We're not here to sell anything. But like which test you would use to get a good snapshot of someone's genetic profile. Um, when it comes to testing, I'm a, I'm a, I'm very strict. Because yeah. if you don't have sufficient data and do it the proper way, you're going to get erroneous results. Yep. Um, the main testing I use, use is the organic acid test um, by a company. Great Plains. By Great Plains. I have found other testing from other labs not sufficient mm -hmm. um, because there's techniques that we use on the organic acid test to shift the results to give a more clinical picture of what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, because um, what you see, I always use to see, and once I see a certain parameter in check, I'm like, listen, what you see, not what you get, but you know, if you look at this marker, it's really showing this marker. Mm -hmm. So there's I, a lot of expertise to interpreting that test. It is the, we are just starting to dissect this thing. Totally. Levels never seen before. Yep. Um, by using the organic acid test, by using the Dutch uh, complete hormone test, um, by using generalized blood work, and you don't have to go crazy with it. Um, no. Usually what I do is, is I have about four or five tests that I utilize, and those are my core. Once so, I uh, the, old, uh, the organic acid, the Dutch complete, you mentioned some basic conventional blood work. Um, yeah, I normally, there's a testing parameter that I use. Um, it's an online testing place that you get testing dirt cheap. Yep. And the total cost, I think, is like 350 bucks, maybe yep. even less. Yep. But you'll get all you'll need right from there. And then from the organic acid test, the Dutch test, you could narrow down whether you're dealing with pathogens, environmental, or um, liver Im imbalances, um, gut dysbiosis. I mean, you can literally separate. We've got it down to a science to where we can literally look at the organic acid tests and be able to distinguish, are you looking at 70% probability or greater of fungal or mold versus 30% yeast and candida? Yep. Um, and then from that, we we're able to identify um, H. pylori. We're, you know, we can actually get into the specific gram-negative, gram-positive. I can pull Babesia out of there. I can pull, um, you know, you can't count, you can't get Lyme on organic acid tests, okay. um, but you can see what the result of uh, immune system dysregulation is. Yep. Sure. Yep. Um, but the thing about the organic acid test, you can get a lot of your gene expressions from the organic acid test. That so, makes sense. So you kind of know what the, what the SNPs are going to show, even just, just from looking at it. My personal opinion is, is I don't do genetic testing no more. I think it's yeah. a win. Yeah. Because, um, number one, the criteria, how it's based upon, um, is not, there's a huge percentage of marginal error. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially in the 23andMe. Mm -hmm. um, I'm waiting for Dr. Ben Lynch yep. to release his um, extended version of his Stratagen report. Yep. And that's going to probably be the gold standard mm -hmm. uh, for what is being based upon. Um, I think the 23andMe uh, with the more extended reports gives a good snapshot of what the probabilities are. But as you mentioned before, 
talking and interviewing and asking questions tells you the gene expressions alone. And by spending and by doing the, um, as my one practitioner colleague says, history, history, history. Yep. If you don't know how to take a good history, then you're not going to get the data you need. And that's a problem with a lot of the functional medicine is, is when I go through these complex cases, I said, by the way, has your doctor ever mentioned this to you? They're like, no, because they're so focused on what their expertise are. Um, and a lot of them, sadly, will follow trends because mm -hmm. as of now, mast cell activation or mast cell you know, syndrome is, you know, MCAS is a huge one. So that's basically turning into the new methylation, as I call it. Yep. Um, but there's always a, a down, there's always an upstream effect, and MCAS is a downstream effect. Um, and out of all the cases that had mass, mass cell activation, about 100 claimed to be max cell activation, two of them actually, be, actually fell into the clinical criteria. So you're so, working directly with clients? I'm working with doctors, I'm working with practitioners, I'm working with clients. I always emphasize the synergistic approach. Beautiful. Where we want to be an extension of those, of the medical society. Yep. Because when I first started in this, I had this, I had this disposition against medical doctors. That yep. They were the devil. And I found that you'll never beat this system. But I found if you change the mindset in the system, then eventually that system will be open to change. Totally. And we're starting to see it. You know, there are conventional facilities now that are, that are starting to build in uh, holistic medicine centers, nutritional therapy centers at like UCSF, Cleveland Clinic with their functional medicine approaches. So there are progressive institutions. I, it's probably the exception rather than the norm, but bottoms up. That, that's a really good point, and there are really great facilities out there. What the issue I'm seeing is with these complex cases, they fall into what's called protocols. Mm -hmm. Standards of care. Standards of care, exactly. And there are, you know, in standards of care traditional medicine, they're needed. I mean, yeah, if, somebody, sure. if a person comes in the ER room, they have to go through a standard set of tests. Yeah. I mean, my wife is a nurse practitioner, and she will say, Sean, there's different, you know, there's standardization of care we have to go through. Yep, makes sense. But she'll, you know, say, hey, you know, what about throwing this in there, you know? And the other day she had somebody, Sean, who can I recommend for vaginal drugs? She said, you know, coconut oil, they want to go the, you know, they want to go the non-hormonal non route, they can use coconut oil. You know, studies have shown that estriol works, applied transvaginally, works good, you know, and she starts integrating that, which is phenomenal. Love it. Uh, but you really can't do a lot in urgent care, and but you can you can hint to things. But the problem with functional every you know when I get these from these big clinics, they come in these protocols, literally just cookie cutter. One person spent five thousand dollars on a doctor that ran all these elaborate tests, and I saw the protocol. I actually went online and was able to copy and paste and show them the link that they got the protocol from. So you have to individualize this based upon the person's genetics, the, you know, the testing, what supplements they do or they can or cannot do, 
and the amazing, the hardest thing to do is in these cases is it's all sequence. If you don't get the proper sequence based upon those factors, you get these people that are just, you know, one-stop shop. And by so how, do we, how do we scale that? Like the, the, the expertise to look across that in a cross-discipline way and, and design it just the way you articulated. How do we make that available to more people? Because not everyone can find a guy like yourself or someone who can see it that way. And, you know, my, my brain immediately goes to technology and ways that this can be provided through technology-based solutions to scale it. But there are so few people who have that, that cross-sectional matrix expertise. Yeah, and, and it really becomes difficult because with the AI, it's, it's phenomenal, but you still have to have that human interaction yeah. uh, with that. And I always joke with people, I said, you know, they can create machines and to do to get to a certain percentage, but, you know, to take you from that 60 to that 100%, you need that intervention. Uh, well, we want to tap stuff that's in your brain and in other clinicians' brains and, and put that in there. Like if, if we could say to a thousand people, go get these, these four basic panels and there were algorithms to analyze 80% of it and then surface that stuff to clinicians. So like we could short circuit a lot of the upfront work, all the stuff you've developed over decades of clinical expertise and other clinicians have developed could simply be preloaded in there. And that could help to make treatment available to more people like, you know, addiction and uh, mental, mental illness. How many people are incarcerated and behind or in mental institutions for something you could figure out quite easily from looking at that data? So like, I'm trying to think how we scale it and, and reach more people. Bam, let me give you an example. Um, one way you can do this is, is like when I look at Lyme, yeah, I have a certain set of criteria in my brain. Yeah, and if yeah. that criteria is seventy percent or greater, then the probability of Lyme or Lyme fungal goes up tremendously. Yeah. Um, like when I do, um, I'll give an example. It's Lyme. Okay. If your antidiuretic hormone is less than 0.8, mm -hmm. which is the vasopressin, mm -hmm. where do you get that? You can get that through DHA Labs has it. Got it. Okay. If that comes up point less than point eight, you know what? All this you've done, this, 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 this in here, throw it out the window. Because what it does is that brings Lyme and mold right on the radar. Mm -hmm. So once you have that marker, I know I'm focused. I know where that gas gauge is. Yeah. So when I go into cases, it looks like this. Yes, the emotional part of it is it, but it really tards it down to, is it an environmental toxin or is it a pathogen? Yep. And once we hone in, we can really see, okay, this, as, as soon as I go to anti-diuretic hormone, boom, I know Lyme or mold's on the radar. Mm -hmm. There's no question. Yep. Just one test. And then once I get that testing, then I'll start looking at other footprints yep. that you leave, okay? It's all about knowing what the footprints are. Yep. Like for example, as soon as you have Lyme, you know that affects your immune system, right? Mm. What markers affect the immune system? DHEA. Yep. Yes. So if the person's DHAS is on the lower side and you have antidiuretic hormone deficient, guess what? 
probability line goes from say 30% up 50, 60%. Yep. And then you start bringing the other markers from the Dutch test and the organic acid test and the other parameters like low white blood cell count, MCV greater than 90, blah, and you know, there's just a list of them. Mm -hmm. What that's going to do is, is that's going to exponentially increase the probability. And that's, that's exactly what I do is, is I go in and I literally have this set criteria in my head that I look for. I love it. You can just immediately start dissecting and analyzing and pattern matching. Well, here's, here is a little clinical pearl that's going to blow you out of the water. Okay. I can find line with a probability of 70% for literally less than $16. Mm -hmm. Here's how it goes. Um, this was originally discovered by me, though there have been practitioners out there advocating that, but yep. they never gave me reference to where they got it from. Understood. So what happens is, is the MCV is representation of two different factors. Mm -hmm. 12 deficiency and also indication of something affecting the MCV for rising. Okay. Mm -hmm. If the MCV is greater, is 90 or greater, it brings two things onto the radar. MCV being elevated is indication for what? B12 deficiency, right? Now, that's B12 deficiency based upon the adenosine cobalamin pathway, which is your mitochondria. Mm -hmm. So your MCV goes up, all these people taking methyl B12, they're making themselves anemic. Yep. Because they're not converting methyl B12 into adeno B12 because the pathway is not working right due to probably gene expressions of MAT1, MMAB, so forth, okay? So, if they're taking methyl B12, guess what? If you know it's a B12 deficiency, what do you do? You switch forms of B12. Yep. And then what you do is, if it's elevated and it comes down, guess what? That's an indication of B12 deficiency, right? Yes. Next now, sense. on the organic acid test, number 50, the Great Plains, that's methylonic acid. Mm -hmm. So you cross-reference that. So theoretically, if methylonic acid is out, and when you look on the organic acid test, where you want that, you want that between the yellow signs. Mm -hmm. You don't want it outside the yellow yep. or the orange. Mm -hmm. Too many doctors are just going by what's high and what's low, and they're not getting into the ingredient about it. Yep. And if I can formulate your, if I can, if we can calibrate your AI information to calibrate based upon changes that I um, taste to shift the ranges based upon the data, boom, that's going to, that's going to just take all those markers and shift them. Well, that's why I'd love to get, you know, we have a lot of organic acid tests in our database. Now we have to key them in manually because as you know, all you get is a PDF, which kind of sucks, especially if you're trying to look across reports and, and track progress. So we have to transcribe a lot of that data, but, Man, once we can get up to 100, 1,000, 10,000 tests in there, then it starts to get interesting in terms of what we can automate. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I think um, with the information I provide you, mm -hmm. I think you're going to be able to change the outcome of hundreds of thousands of lives. And you're going to be able to help people 
that have not been helped before. Because the problem is, is doctors are looking at absolutes. They're not looking at ratios and relationships. Yeah. Once you bring that relationship and ratios into the check, it changes the whole dynamics of things. Yeah. Um, so the point being is, is if you know that your MCV is normal and you treat with B12 and the B12 from Medino doesn't change, well, guess what? What's the other issue that raises MCV? Why? Yep. So theoretically, we now have a poor man's challenge. I love we it. it. We call it the adenosine-cobalamin challenge. Mm -hmm. And that way, and this has been shown in clinical data, that MCV is associated with B12. But they don't tell you what type of B12. They just say take B12. But you have to know based upon your genetic gene expression. Um, and like I said, you don't even have to worry about your gene expression. Just go straight to it. Yep. That's part of the stuff that I learned from... My my first clue was was um, elevated markers that suggested B12 deficiency. There was a, a SNP, especially elevated homocysteine, was one of them as well. And then it turned out to be the methylated folate that actually brings my homocysteine back from like I don't know, 13 or 14 back right. down in, into the normal range. And that's just a clue I picked up on a 23andMe report, cross-referenced it with my blood work. Yep. I have the methylmalonic acid on the oat. It looks really good. So, but it depends, it depends where your creatine levels are at. If yeah. your creatine levels are off, it throws everything off. Yeah. Cool. The creatine levels need between about seven. I look at set, like 60 to 70 till about 130, 150. Once yep. you get above that 150, things shift. Mm -hmm. Doctors aren't, they're not teaching that. That is something that um, my colleague, Michael McAvoy, we, we teach a practitioner course on how to, uh, we focus our uh, practitioner mentorship on the organic acid test, the Dutch test, and a couple other tests that we do. Awesome. And that is your focal point. And we train practitioners that have these complex cases that are just literally turning these cases around overnight. I love it. So you offer that training program? Yes, we do offer that training program. That's incredible. It's, it's, um, it's a, we take on a limited amount of clients. For sure. Because we are mentoring. So we are, you, you get two practitioners with two unique outlooks on things. Because he deals, he's more with the viral, he's got expertise in viral, pathogens, um, and we complement each other incredibly. Yep. And this way, we literally go one-on-one -on -one with practitioner for three hours, I think it's three or four hours a month, one-on-one, yep. -on -one, going over cases, showing the relationships. And then we have a, uh, one month, then we have a, um, then we have a, um, a group meeting to discuss case studies. Let me go through more case studies. Um, this I, mean, uh, I went to the Great Plains training here in Scottsdale with, with Dr. Grace, our mutual friend, just because just I'm a nerd about it. But, but to know that you're doing that, 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 pro that protocol, that was going back to what I said earlier, how do you pass this knowledge on to more practitioners? So I think that's incredible. Um, we're probably going to eventually bring out um, um, it on DVD. But yes, we, 
but thing is, is my wife going through nurse practitioner school said this, she goes, Sean, what you guys micro offering, I would die for. Yeah. Because there was no mentor there. You know, they just send you to a site and there's no one-on-one. Mm-hmm. What we hope to do is, is we hope to um, train new practitioners that have our scope of knowledge um, that were, have the understanding or just the principles. It's a philosophy. Yep. Once you understand the principles, everything else falls into place. There's a few simple philosophies. Once you understand, you know, like on the organic acid test, a 25, 30% deviation on the Dutch test, once you know that even though the testosterone estrogen level or normal range, if the ratios are off, guess what? You're going to be, you're going to be up the Creek without a paddle. Because I'm a prime example of that. I was having estrogen dominant symptoms, even though I was doing everything right. What happened was, is I started to have low testosterone and high estrogen, but nothing changed. And I went into um, a tailspin for three months. I started putting on body fat. I started getting depressed, having anxiety with unknown expressions. Well, guess what it was? I did the Dutch test. My adrenals improved. My testosterone estrogen ratios were identical to what they were um, six months ago. But what gets changed? My two to sixteen hydroxy ratio. The two hydroxy is the good, and the sixteen was the bad. Even though there was a deviation by twenty five percent, it was enough to throw my body into total chaos. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that happened was is I was getting lazy with my diet when it came to vegetables. And I have the gene expression, CYP1A1, um, that is necessary to where it goes down the 16-hydroxy pathway than the 2-hydroxy pathway. And guess what I did? I knew things were not working so good as they used to be. Um, and I knew I know my body when it goes estrogen dominant. I just yep. Estrogen's been my nemesis for God knows long. Yep. But as soon as I started taking DIM, within 48 hours, I was... My wife was like, holy Christ, I filled out like I was on steroids mm-hmm. because I know that, you know, I was, that's why I didn't go to the gym. I felt depressed because every time I went, I was getting weaker and weaker and weaker. But here is a guy with normal testosterone levels, optimal estrogen, estradiol levels, yep. completely altered to high 16 hydroxy ratio. Yep. So that was the missing piece. I know that uh, our, our mutual friend Grace, she looks at a lot of those ratios, testosterone, estradiol, but there's another sub sub level to the puzzle in this particular case. Yes. The problem with functional medicine is, is even with traditional, they're still looking on surface. Yep. You got to be able to get your hands dirty. Yep. And um, this mentor program that we developed, we do what other mentorship programs do in three months what they do in six, six months to a year. Cool. So the expertise is highly sought after, very important. If people are listening and either they're a practitioner listening, we have quite a few of them in our community, or they're an individual listening, how would they get in touch with you to start learning more, Consultations. We've we've covered a lot of ground here, and we 
we touched on a lot of really, really powerful stuff, especially I, I love those three pillars you mentioned, environmental, emotional, pathogens. I've had other experts on the show that have come back to the exact same three things. And those are complex pieces in and of themselves, but what you're starting to lay out here is a framework. So we can definitely keep going into more detail, but I want to bring it back here and say, how do people contact you to get more information? And what would you recommend for people who are just starting to go down this path? Are you talking in regards to... Um... You, you as a consultation, if someone wanted to cons consult oh. with you, or if they were interested in your practitioner training, if you have resources online, I just want to end by giving people some places to go because we've talked about a lot of stuff and give them some resources. One of the basic places you can get hold of me is, is at matrixhealthwell at gmail.com. Cool. Um, the practitioner program is ran through um, Metabolic Healing mm -hmm. Institute, yep. which is through Michael McAvee. Um, him and I do it together. Uh, we're probably going to be starting up a big program in September. Mm -hmm. um, Let us know. Yes, most definitely. Um, this can be either a practitioner or a lay person, but you know, like I said, it's compatible to cost of larger ones, but you go through a lot of information. Yeah. And the thing is, is it's information that you can apply the next day. Yeah. Um, and when people are starting on this journey, you always have to pull yourself back and think of who or what is screaming the loudest. Mm -hmm. And things that you can do is, is you want to look at your water source. Mm -hmm. Are you drinking good water? Are you, you know, you can look at, um, you can look at websites such as scorecard.org. Yeah. Which is phenomenal. That tells you I what checked that one before. Yeah, and what you can do is you can look to see what toxins. I'll give you an example. Houston, Texas is the worst city that you can live in. <laughs> it's loaded in aldehydes and it's loaded in ammonia. So if you have a gene expression of um, MTHFR twelve ninety eight, CBS pathway, NAT, then you're going to be more susceptible to those toxins and those pathways. And remember, just because you have the gene doesn't mean it's expressing, but you also, but when looking at genetics, you want to look at the pathways and what the cofactors are in relationship to those pathways. Yep, agreed. Because you could have MTHFR, but you may not be expressing it. Mm -hmm. But you could have low thyroid problems, which makes the MTHFR 30 times or 30% more expressive. Mm -hmm. That's why women have miscarriages. It's not just because the MTHFR. A lot of times the miscarriages happen because of low thyroid. Yep. And when you correct the thyroid, you actually correct the MTHFR yep. in the process. Yep. So um, you want to just pull yourself back, take a deep breath, and look at your environment. Look at your mindset. Are you, I know, are you a worrier? Um, look at your spirituality too. Do you have a good relationship with Whatever your choice of um, um, mindset is and when it comes to um, spirituality, because 
I always greater than ourselves, whatever you define. Something greater than yourself. I always joke with people say, listen, there was an old um, what's happening commercial, a what's happening uh, episode that talked about Ralph the head of cabbage. And the thing is, is if you have something to believe in, if you have a system of faith, your probability heal is going to be much greater, whatever that may be. Agree a hundred percent. You know, and you have to explore that. The problem is, is people are looking for the answers outside. Or out, people are looking for the answers outside when you have to start healing from the inside first. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that centering effect and you are dispersing your energy out into the universe all over the place, there's nothing inside for you for, to, to reserve to heal. That's the biggest mistake I healed that I did when I was healing. I was trying to heal the world and not heal myself. And these podcasts are phenomenal because they provide the information, but people that are very, very sick, they become very drawn to the Facebook groups and they could be, um, they could, I always joke with people. I said, they could be your curse or they can be a blessing. Totally. And a lot of times um, they can actually add stress to our lives. I would and, agree with that. and one of the recommendations I make with clients like that, I said, listen, you're hiring me to do your, you're hiring me to work for you, okay? Get off the line, find something else. Get a hobby, okay? Go outside, get some sunlight exposure on your on your skin. Go well, go 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 perspire, go sweat, go hug somebody. Go yeah, community, okay? In the anti-aging, when you look at the anti-aging model, what is the number one part that is not ever emphasized? Community. It's our community, exactly. And you look at the blue zones, you know, you, I've watched all those videos and you go look at the places where there's all these centenarians and they all just love each other. They eat dinner together every day. That's, we're moving farther away from that in, in our society, but there's ways to recreate it. Correct. And that's, that's exactly was one of the posts I put up. The more we move away from nature, mm-hmm. the sicker we become. Yeah. And then technology just becomes band-aided. Well, you made this comment earlier. You're like, man, as soon as I go up into Sedona, I immediately start feeling better. And there are, there's lots of ways to get more exposure to that. I feel the same way when I go up there. I don't know what it is, but it's just. Well, the, the people with NAT gene expression are also electromagnetic sensitive. Yeah. Which goes through the adrenal pathway. Mm-hmm. So they gravitate more towards nature, sunlight, you know, the beach, because people and they have a more response to the negative to the negative ions. What's and this? NAT. NAT. That's I the. Electric- check, I gotta go check mine. NAT. Um, and look to see, and when you look at the genetics from the 23andMe, if you have it from MTH Bar Support or wherever it is, don't look at the specific gene itself. Look at how that how many yellows or how many reds and you eyeball it. Yeah. And then that tells you the probability. Because when I go through genetic reports, um, I don't have people's history. Yeah. What I do is I let the I let the report dictate the history. Totally. And sometimes and sometimes I pull out things that scare the living bejesus out of people mm-hmm. that they don't know about. Like I'll look at a pathway, I'll look at an MTHFR. If you have multiple MTHFRs highlighted, yellows and red on a prolonged report, 
I'll ask you, is there any history of, dep- is there any history of attempted suicide or anybody mm-hmm. suicide in your family? Mm-hmm. I've seen people turn sheet white or, <laughs> I've seen, or I've seen people go back. No, no, I, I don't, I don't remember, but then they'll go back to the family history. It's like, Oh, you know, my, my first cousin committed suicide on my mom's side. Yeah. So, and you know, the genes are not a death sentence. Agree. The too many people get wrapped up into them and they need to say, okay, these are red herrings. Yep. And we don't change all those other factors that we mentioned about mindset, your environment, your lifestyles, then those that's are what we can control and that that's the epigenetic part of it so that's totally within our reach 30 percent we've it's roughly estimated 30 percent uh are you know we're predestined to 70 percent we have a probability of change love it all right man we've been going hard here for an hour we were covered an incredible amount i got a page and a half of notes so a lot of these are going to get summarized for everybody who's listening uh the links sean mentioned scorecard.org, a lot of the tests that we talked about, how to get in touch. We're going to summarize it all. This has been an awesome, awesome deep dive. Hopefully we'll have a chance to do another one, but I want to just say thank you for sharing your expertise. I know you're a busy guy, but I know that people listening are going to appreciate this information. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, it's been great. All right. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio.